This is the sixth chapter of John, beginning in verse 15. Jesus, knowing that they intended to take him and make him king by force, withdrew by himself to a mountain. The disciples went down to the lake, where they set out in a boat to go to Capernaum. It grew dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. The winds came up and began to blow, and the waves grew rough. When they had rowed three to three and a half miles, Jesus came toward them, approaching the boat, walking on the water. And when they saw him, they were afraid. But he said, it is I. Do not be afraid. And they were willing to take him into the boat. And immediately the boat reached the shore. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. For several years, we uh, owned in our family a small house on Lake LBJ. And as we would make the trip uh, from San Antonio to Lake LBJ, and we'd be in the Marble Falls area, we saw many, many cars and trucks hauling jet skis and boats up to the lake. I have to tell you, this is a tremendous contrast with the times that I've been around the Sea of Galilee on a bus going from one side to another. I have never seen a car in Israel hauling a jet ski or a boat by the Sea of Galilee. There are some, but they're not many. You see, for all of their history, the people of Israel have not been seafaring people because the water represented to them chaos, forces that uh, were dark and beyond their control. And so when God um, uh, parted the Red Sea and then later parted the River Jordan, those were miracles that were even more amazing to them than to us because it talked about the ability of God to control the uncontrollable. But they don't usually set out. And when they do, as uh, Jane mentioned, they don't set out very, uh, Jeannie mentioned, they don't set out very far from the shore. And in fact, even to this day, I talked to someone who lives in the area. If they think a storm is coming up, they don't even get out if they have a power boat. Because on the Sea of Galilee, it becomes a mini version of the perfect storm. And it can be very dangerous to be out there. So it tells me when we come to our story this morning that the sea must have been very calm when the disciples set out to go across the narrow part of the Sea of Galilee over to Capernaum. And I thought, how like uh, our life is that? So often when we set out on life's adventures, it seems calm at the beginning. As we stand at the altar uh, with our uh, future spouse and, and say, I do or I will, it, it seems calm enough. It looks as though it will be a smooth sail into the future. When we think about children and, and uh, having a family and we look ahead, we think of all the things that we can do with our children, for our children, who and what they might become, and the way ahead seems fairly smooth. When we take a new job at a different company, uh, they appear to be in good shape. The people appear to be reasonable people uh, with whom to work, and it looks like the sailing will be rather smooth. When we join a church, pastor looks decent enough. It looks like there are a lot of opportunities uh, to meet the needs that we might have, and it looks like a smooth sail. But just like the disciples on the Sea of Galilee, the storms come. The winds come and the waves kick up, and it becomes very difficult. And this is so a part of the Christian experience. Christians are not exempt that uh, a couple centuries into the history of the early church, they adopted as their picture a boat in the middle of a raging sea with a cross on the boat. 
That was their experience of life. They knew that storms come to every life. They know that, for example, when you are married, the very uh, opposite nature of your spouse that attracted you to him or her begins to aggravate you after some time. That the children that you bring into the world run into trouble and get hurt and you realize that their pain is even harder on you than it is on themselves. They know that economies can change, job descriptions and bosses can change, and it's not what we signed up for. And they know that there are times in your life where your life in the church just seems a little dull or dead and and it doesn't seem to meet or speak to where you are anymore. That's an experience of life, and it's been the Christian experience ever since the disciples. We set out and it's smooth, we get going for a while, and the storms came up and come up. And storms come to every life. They, they just do. That's part of being on this planet. But what's interesting to me is when the storms come up in the Sea of Galilee, it's difficult enough for a powerboat. And these people are rowing, and they row for three to three and a half miles. That is most of the way, at least 80% of the way across uh, uh, the narrow part of the Sea of Galilee. And it is tough, difficult rowing, and Jesus appears to be nowhere in sight. Most of this difficult journey, they feel like they're taking on their own. Have you ever been there? Something difficult begins to happen. Storms come up and you look around, you hope, you pray, but God doesn't seem to be on your timetable. Your spouse doesn't seem to be changing. The boss at work doesn't seem to be relenting. The signs of remission in your disease for which you hoped have not yet appeared. We get in the middle of the storm and it feels on the surface as if we're rowing all by ourselves. This has long also been the Christian experience. The Mennonites have a wonderful saying when we're in the middle of storms and things don't seem to be going right for us. It says this, we are living in the time of God's patience. In other words, for whatever reasons, God hadn't decided yet to intervene in a way that we can notice and in a way that fixes things for us. One seminary president out in California put it this way. He said, I would say to most people who are Christians, your God is too fast. That your God that you want to instantly fix everything in your life is not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible does indeed part the waters. The God of the Bible does indeed calm the sea. But often there is a period of slavery. Often there's a 40-year wandering in the wilderness. Often there's that three and a half miles that you row. Often God does not seem to be on our timetable. And so the cliche actually begins to bring true to the Bible, and that is God is never early. But God's always on time, but never early, never on our time schedule. And so we row And we wonder. And then the disciples look up. And there's Jesus walking toward them on the water. And it says they're frightened. Well, you might think, no wonder. In the Gospel of Mark, they think Jesus is a ghost. But John doesn't say that. It's almost as if they know it's Jesus coming toward them. And yet they're afraid anyway. Even though they recognize him. Why is it? 
Maybe because they're beginning to glimpse the great power and the great glory and the great wonder of Jesus. It's one thing to multiply some bread and a few fish. Another thing for water and wine. But to stop a storm and to our first to be able to maneuver and walk through the storm. Something else entirely. And this is what Jesus says to him. He said, it is I, don't be afraid. And so you think back to Mark and say, well, maybe they didn't recognize him. So he had to like wear like, hello, my name is Jesus, you know. Had to do it for them. But the fact of the matter is, it is I that gets translated into English is a phrase that in um, the original language means basically, I am. I am. Let me translate it for you theologically. I am God. Don't be afraid. I'm the one you've been waiting for. Just like he says, I'm the resurrection of life. I am the living water. I am the bread of life. And this time he just says, I am. And you can fill in the blank. He is God. That'd be scary to me. What if God showed up? It's kind of interesting to me that we come on Sundays to worship God, and I think that really we don't expect that God's going to sit in the pew next to us. It's a little scary thought. And yet, and yet, I love this part of the story. They are willing, it says, to take him into the boat. Are you willing to take Jesus into your boat? Because knowing if you do, that means things have to change. If there's a relational issue and I take Jesus in the boat, it may mean I'm going to have to give up my petty grudge. If I have a physical problem and I take Jesus into the boat, then it may mean I have to give up my hope and dependence on other sources of healing. And one of the stories that we hear from Christians in in, um, uh, part of East Africa where we were is that people will go to the witch doctor. And if the witch doctor can't heal them, then they'll go to the missionary or the pastor And what the pastors have learned to say is, you may come, and I will pray for you, but you cannot go back to the witch doctor. you got to choose. If if you're going to have him in this boat, you can't have the other in the boat as well. And they're willing to bet everything on Jesus, and they receive him into the boat. And then, says the story, immediately... Immediately, after all this rowing, after all this suffering, immediately when they take him, they end up on the other side, in Capernaum. Now, where did they end up? Capernaum. Where they intended to get, and they were supposed to be all along. And I think it's a way of saying that our journeys are rough, but God will get us where we're supposed to be. But I need to call time out. I mean, after all, it is basketball season. Let me, let me call time out for a minute and tell you, here's something interesting about the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John, uh, written by the Holy Spirit in John, is a very, very deep book with many metaphorical pictures and many levels of meaning in the stories and the sayings um, that are used. Scholars say about the Gospel of John that the Gospel of John is shallow enough for a baby to bathe in and deep enough to drown an elephant. And so it is, if you make a commitment at the Alamo Dome to uh, uh, Christ, Billy Graham tells you, go home and read the Gospel of John, because on a very surface level, you can read it, you can understand it, there's a lot to take from it. But there's also deeper levels. So let me ask you this. Where is it? What shore is it that only Jesus can deliver us to? Where is that place that we can't get anywhere other than with Jesus in our boat. 
Because I would tell you that's a part of the story as well. Jesus is telling you there's a destination and I'm the only one who can get you there. And if you try on your own effort to row and row and row, you're not going to make it. But if you trust in me and I'm in your boat, you'll get there. I want to suggest to you this morning that one of the shores that God has for us where we cannot reach on our own is eternity. We cannot come into heaven by our own rowing, by our own effort. It's only going to come when he is in the boat and we are willing to take him in the boat and then we will reach there safely. He will take us where no one else can take us and we will get there. And I think part of what John is saying is, I know that Jesus takes us to heaven. But I also know that life until that point is often a struggle. Have you ever wondered or thought about this, that maybe your struggles on earth are actually to prepare you for life in heaven? I think a lot of us think earth is just to be endured. We don't know why we'd have to suffer at all, because when we get to heaven, we're just going to sit on a cloud and play a harp. Well, what if that's not what it is? What if we're continuing to grow in our relationship with God and with one another in love and in service? Then wouldn't it make sense that earth becomes the training ground for heaven? Founder of Methodism, John Wesley, put it this way. He said that the Holy Spirit sanctifies us to prepare us, or he says, make us fit for heaven. It's been put another way, that earth is heaven's workshop. That the things that heaven wants done in our life to prepare us have to take place here. That's where the work happens. That work often involves difficulty and struggle. One commentator said this about the story that I found helpful. He said, God is much less interested in where we are than on who we will be when we get where God wants us. So God may know that we're struggling and the storms are up at the moment, but the big interest God has is who we're going to be when God gets us to the shore. And what happens is the struggle shapes us to be someone on the shore that God wants us to be. So look at the disciples again in the boat. What has happened because of this? They come to believe and know in a God who is stronger than they have yet experienced. Have you ever found that, that when you go through a difficult storm and a crisis, God is more real and more powerful to you at the end of this long crisis than God was before? And that happens. They come to know more about Jesus, and secondly, they become stronger people in the rowing. I wonder if that's part of the purpose of the storms that we endure in life. Some of you know one of my favorite stories I picked up uh, last time I was in Israel. It was a, a story from the rabbis about a rabbi who used to uh, walk to the village where he would minister every day. And one day God called him and said, Rabbi, um, I want you to go this path. And ra- he took the rabbi along the path, and he said, Do you see that boulder there? And the rabbi said, Yeah, it was huge. It wasn't blocking the path. It was just off to the side of the path. And he said, Every day when you walk to the village, I want you to push on that rock. So the rabbi said, Okay. For a year on his way to work, he pushed the rock. Never seemed to move, but he'd push it. One morning, he got up, started to go down that path past the rock, the boulder again, and the evil one caught him and said, Rabbi, what are you doing? He said, well, I'm going down here and to the village, and I'm going to stop and push that rock. And the evil one said, haven't you noticed that that rock hasn't moved one single inch in the entire year you've been pushing it? The rabbi thought about that, and he said, you know, you're right. So he changed course and went to the village by the old path he used to take. 
And the next day he got up in the morning and got ready to take that old path and avoid the boulder again. And God caught him and said, Rabbi, where are you going? And he said, well, I'm going into the village. He said, well, why aren't you going the way that I showed you? And he said, God, I've been pushing on that boulder for a year and it hasn't moved one inch. And God said to the rabbi, who said anything about moving it? And he said, Rabbi, have you noticed in the last year how much stronger you've become? Have you noticed how you're able to help the women take the water up from the well to their home? Have you noticed how you've helped people with their construction projects around their home? Have you noticed how much more patient you've become with other people pushing on this rock? I think sometimes the storms of life through which we row are just like that rock. And they strengthen us not only for this life, but prepare us for the life to come.